Will you please pray with me? Dear God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations on all of our hearts be worthy in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I do not envy my girlfriend. This is one of those self-burns. You see, I have a bad habit stemming from my pastoral passion. We call it Fun Theological Facts Times with Tyler. Basically, whenever I see something that reminds me of a fact I learned in seminary or from a theological book, I get the overwhelming feeling of giddiness and blurt out what I'm thinking. Did you know that the Hebrew word for spirit is feminine and therefore the early Syrian church considered the Holy Spirit to be feminine? Imagine that one of the three Godhead could be considered a woman. If, of course, you consider that we typically depict God as an older male in our culture, what would that mean for our traditional views of God as male? How could, how could that have changed our cultural and societal values of femininity in, theo in theological history? Now, if you're anything like my poor girlfriend, your eyes probably glazed over around the time of early Syrian church. And by the time I said traditional views, you were already making plans for the afternoon. Except that for my fun theological fact time, normally lasts upward of 20 minutes, and you truly understand the suffering of my significant other. Of course, there was a time that I didn't regale her with theological discussion. Back when we first started dating, you know, the time when you're nervous about whether your quirks or oddities are going to drive that person away, so you tend to hold them back. Slowly, though, you begin to learn more and more about the other person, what they like to eat, what their expectations are, and you begin to relax in front of them, show a little bit of your true self. In the book of Exodus, we can see this growing period between God and the Hebrew people as well. Though it is written as a treaty, you can also read it as a blooming relationship between the Lord of hosts and the Hebrew people. There are four what are called theophanies in the book of Exodus, for moments where God manifests before the Hebrew people and Moses. Each of these moments told the Hebrew people something about the God that they worshipped. The first appearance of God was the scene at the burning bush. Moses is shepherding sheep when he comes across this burning bush, which though it burns, the flowers continue to grow and reform as he watches. 
God tells Moses to go to Egypt to free the Hebrew people. And when Moses asks God's name, the response is, I am who I am. The second time God appears before the entirety of the Hebrew people at Mount Sinai, where God gives the Ten Commandments, the standard for what the people need to do to be God's people. Basically, like setting up boundaries for a relationship. The people agree. The third time God appears to Moses to instruct the people on the process of building a sanctuary, a place where the people can commune with God. But the last and final theophany, or direct appearance, is in front of Moses, where God reveals something about God's self. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sin. Now, on the surface, this doesn't seem like much. It, it feels like it me it feels like it's just somebody saying, I am a very humble person loudly for an entire crowd to hear. But there's more to this statement than a braggadocious claim. For one, this line is said after the golden calf incident, where right after being told they aren't to make idols, the Hebrew people make a golden calf to worship because Moses is taking too long on Mount Sinai. God could, by every right, simply ignore the promise that was made to lead the Hebrew people back to the promised land. The people broke their end of the bargain, but God refuses to leave them. Instead, God continues to uphold God's promise to the people, regardless of what they've done. There is a line in what God says, a God merciful and gracious. Once again, this means very little to us. We know what these words mean in a vague sense. If someone is gracious, they forgive. But we've lost something in the translation. The word translated to mean gracious in this line is rahamin meaning to have mercy, compassion, and is the word for womb. The phrase takes on a new meaning with this context. Rahamim is the strongest connection between a mother and a baby. God uses this phrase to describe God as a mother who loves her child deeply. God is a mother who loves her children no matter how far they run or turn away. It may be painful for her, but she can't help it. The compassion she feels is beyond natural. Is this the phrase of a braggart? 
This line puts the entire Old Testament into a new context. God is not a harsh tyrant, constantly on the verge of going genocidal. Instead, God is a parent that ultimately wants what's best for her children. Sometimes being a parent requires tough love to keep your kids from making bad life choices. But when they do make a bad decision, God, can simply, God simply cannot cast off her children either. God will always be there to welcome them back, remembering the good, young, innocent children and the potential God saw in them. If this sounds familiar, it is because Jesus said the same thing in the prodigal son parable. There, Jesus describes God as a father willing to welcome the rebellious child with open arms, forgetting all the things that were done. We like to think of this parable as something Jesus added about God, like Jesus somehow softened the image of God up. But God has always been a compassionate parent, loving humanity in the same way a mother loves her child. I cannot stress how important this small verse is. This saying, when God appears in front of Moses, is repeated on festival days every year in modern synagogues when the Torah is taken out and read. This shows how much the physical revealing of God also reveals God's true nature of mercy and love, the love of a parent. It wasn't just Jesus who talked about the mercy of God. It has been there since the very beginning of the Old Testament. But Jesus did refine it and fulfill it, proving that love through his death and resurrection. Though it may seem that God in the Old Testament and the New Testament are different, they actually have the same love and care running through it. Though the contexts are different, God's love endures through all ages and into eternity. Amen. Now, for our final sending hymn, there's a wideness in God's mercy.
Now, people of God, go forth knowing the loving mercy of God and share it with all those around you. May you go in peace and may God bless you.